0: Welcome to another edition of Contractors' Corner, a Solar Power World podcast series in which our editors talk with solar contractors and installers. This podcast series is a companion to the Contractors' Corner column in our print magazine and on our website, so make sure you look for our featured solar contractors in every issue. In this episode, we are speaking with Klaus Doring, president of Green Sun Rising in Windsor, Ontario. So thanks, Klaus, for joining us today.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: All right, let's start off learning a little bit about your company. What's your background? When did you guys form?
1: Well, uh, I myself, as my name may give it away, I'm actually German-born and raised, and I have a master's degree in mechanical engineering from a German university. I came to Canada first uh, over 30 years ago, and uh, I got a second uh, Canadian Master's in Mechanical Engineering and then I left uh, Canada again uh, for a global career in automotive. I came back to Canada 13 years ago and I am now a Canadian citizen, so I'm Canadianized. eh? (laughs) And um, I founded Green Sun Rising eight and a half years ago, January 2008. And uh, the guiding principle at that time was uh, consider, please, that at that point in time, uh, solar was not really a hot technology in North America. Uh, people were still in the paradigm of uh, crude oil is plenty and let's just burn it. So at that point in time, I recognized that uh, Europe, and in particular Germany, had developed some beautiful, beautiful technology around uh, renewables and in the first year of Green Sun Rising, I traveled to Germany five times. In my automotive past, I have always brought technologies across borders and that's exactly what I did. I chose what I consider to be the most applicable solar technologies. I joined forces with the leading German companies and uh, I started then bringing in materials by the containers. The year into Green Sun Rising, Well, we had ourselves a global financial crisis and uh, so the automotive industry collapsed and voila, we had the opportunity of taking over an old and uh, pretty much empty automotive factory. So we do have a beautiful footprint here in a nice old uh, brick-style automotive uh, facility. And uh, we started uh, with solar thermal, then we added solar PV. And at this point in time, we're doing solar projects across uh, all of Canada, including uh, the Arctic part of Canada into very remote locations.
2: Okay.
0: So like you're, you're doing all types of systems, but what are you primarily installing? Are you kind of more residential, more large-scale commercial? What, what are you installing?
1: Um, We are doing residential, commercial and utility, but keep in mind when we say utility, we're talking about, for example, a 86 kilowatt uh, solar PV system into a remote location in the Northwest Territories replacing diesel. So when we talk mainly in the remote regions, we talk utility, uh, we're not talking megawatt size. Cumulatively, we've done uh, well over one and a half uh, megawatt, closer to two megawatt of solar PV, but that's uh, cumulative. Uh, Typically, we're doing in the range of uh, 10 to maybe 50 or 80 kilowatt. Uh, We even do like smaller systems. It would be mainly what uh, in the US, where typically you have the, the utility scale and then you have residential and relatively little in between. We would be considered a smaller player. But keep in mind that uh, Canada has only about uh, 10% of the population of the U.S. And uh, in the remote regions, uh, we have very, very few people in these uh, facilities and locations.
0: Right. Okay. Talk a little more about those remote northern regions. What's it like installing in some of those Arctic regions?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Canada has approximately 300 communities. That are off the national grid. We don't really have one connected national grid. For example, the Northwest Territories is not connected uh, with uh, the rest of Canada. They're standalone, and even within the Northwest Territories, only about a third of the territory has its own microgrid, and then everything else is just standalone, uh, and it is mainly diesel generation. So within these approximately 300 communities with diesel generation, uh, just imagine the cost of bringing the diesel fuel in. Some of these communities are fly-in, some of these communities have a winter ice road, some of the communities have once a year a barge coming, uh, for example, down the Mackenzie River. So these communities are really, really expensive to supply with uh, diesel fuel and then all the maintenance and all the issues, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, uh, the challenges in these communities are uh, very much logistics-related, but they're also local conditions-related. They are weather-related. I'll give you an example. When we did uh, the project for Colville Lake, we had to get the material readied and onto a truck and across the Winter Ice Road. It's a community of about 160 people, and uh, they are um, north of the Arctic uh, Circle. And uh, the only road connection is once a year on the winter ice road, which is extremely rough. And that winter ice road time window is maybe six to eight weeks. And in that particular winter, because the Canadian uh, the Canadian government, the Northwest Territory government, was running some fiber cable along the Mackenzie uh, River, the, the road was even rougher. <laughs> so we had to get uh, that uh, truck in and unloaded, under the worst of road and winter conditions. We then flew a installation team in 1st of June. Uh, 2nd of June, we had snowfall. Keep in mind, this is June. Okay? <laughs> and uh, the, the lake was still completely frozen over. And then uh, we installed the system. Now, now, think about it. You're missing one little tool. You're missing one little part. The next electrical supply place is 1,500 kilometers away. <laughs> I mean, basically, uh, we... Uh, well, we were fortunate because they still have regular uh, flights. And then when I say flights, I mean a bush hopper. <laughs> okay, this is a non-pressurized single engine and single pilot, by the way. And uh, you have one compartment and you're sitting on one 40-year-old uh, aviation chair. It's sheer pure aluminum by now. <laughs> and then uh, to your left is your luggage. And then you fly into the community. And uh, the, the first thing that the pilot does is he flies a loop over the village. And then he comes down on the gravel runway, and then he lands, you unload, and then he leaves, and then and, and, and there you are. <laughs> I'll give you another example. We did a 10 kilo no, excuse me 15 kilowatt that was a 15- kilowatt system uh, on uh, Banks Island, in a community called Sachs Harbor. It happens to be the northernmost community in the Northwest Territories, and only in Nunavut has communities uh, further north. Uh, Alaska has long ended, okay? This Mm -hmm. is past the mainland. This is when you leave Inuvik and you go another 300 kilometers uh, north-northeast. We actually ended up chartering a plane to get in there, and we flew material and installation crew in with a chartered plane out of uh, Yellowknife. And uh, we did that particular project in the middle of October last year. And as we were doing this solar system installation across the bay on the freezing ice, uh, we could see two polar bears roaming. They were separate. there were two individuals, and we could see them on the other side of the bay roaming along the edge of the ice, looking for the ice to freeze, and then uh, hunting seals. Huh. So this is a community with approximately 85 people, and uh, to my best of knowledge, this is the northernmost microgrid connected solar system in all of North America. Wow. Again, we did that in uh, October last year. The most crazy weather-related we did in February and March of this year, and uh, this was driven by the end of the fiscal calendar of the federal government. The money had to be spent before the end of March, and we actually installed two solar systems in Iqaluit Nunavut. Now. February happens to be their coldest month <laughs> and uh, our installation team was out there uh, installing two solar systems under the, the, the coldest of uh, conditions and it wasn't that bad okay <laughs> it could have been worse it, it surely could have been worse but I mean we are now talking about uh, wearing inner gloves and outer gloves Mm -hmm. Because for heat, you needed to have the thick outer gloves, but you couldn't use any screws with that, like tactile. You didn't have the tactile. So you you couldn't just take the outer glove off and expose your skin because you would have frostbite very quickly. So uh, basically, we had to wear inner glove and outer glove. Uh, We did wear very, very warm clothing, multiple layers, but then you need to have your fall arrest on top of that. Um, My biggest uh, trouble were my glasses. I wear glasses and uh, maintaining my body temperature while working and while going up and down scaffolding and while lifting stuff and moving was the most challenging. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I was getting too cold. That was not the problem. We were well protected. But uh, my glasses would fog up on me, and (laughs) anything that you brought from the outside, you put it down, it would immediately melt and freeze.
0: Oh, my goodness. All the aluminum
1: parts, I mean, you you, you have them inside uh, to prepare it. You take it outside, and you have to put it down. As long as it still has some heat, it it melts and freezes immediately. So things freeze together, tools freeze up. My glasses were totally frozen. (laughs) I tried to then work without glasses, which is really bad, and then with glasses. As soon as the wind comes up, then it gets brutal. Mm
2: -hmm. One
1: afternoon, we were basically completely snowed out, and they closed everything down. We had ourselves a nice little blizzard, and uh, you had visibility of less than two meters, and everything just shut down. Everybody was told to go home, stay indoors, and uh, basically wait wait it out. So uh, that was weather-related, the most challenging uh, we had. I'm going to be in... uh, Kukluktuk uh, in June. And uh, that's another project we were awarded that's not yet installed, but uh, using uh, Buffalo Airways. That material has already been flown in, and uh, we will fly in the installation team uh, second part of June. And uh, conditions should be quite uh, agreeable at that point in time. But uh, up in the Arctic, you can have weather changes within a few minutes, and you could have temperature drops. Of, 20 degrees Celsius, uh, no problem. Basically the weather can turn on you very, very quickly. On the other hand, you have brilliant open skies and uh, Mm. the air tends to be quite uh, dry. So you have excellent visibility. Uh, Surely you have more than a thousand watt per square meter inbound radiation when the sun is out and the sky is clear. You have very, very strong sunlight. The data is clear as well. The harvest is, is magnificent. Um, we put a solar system on the main uh, power plant of Kulik Energy, which is a utility in uh, Iqaluit, in Nunavut, And that system has already generated under peak conditions 40% higher than the DC rated output. Wow. And that is driven by the uh, low ambient temperature which can be easily uh, 20, uh, excuse me, 40 degrees celsius below the standard rated at 25 c plus they can easily have minus fifty minus twenty minus twenty five c no problem so you can easily gain sixteen to twenty percent uh, just on uh, the low ambient temperature second is the air is very dry and uh, just from uh, sensing it myself i'm sure they get more than a thousand watt per square meters under peak conditions and third they have very significant albedo effect all of the reflections Uh, when we talk about all the snow and ice and all the frozen surfaces and uh, up there there are no trees okay we're talking about uh, the tallest plant being maybe uh, two millimeters Mm -hmm. this is the barrens so there is no trees uh, to shade and there is all kinds of reflections Uh, snow blindness uh, can occur Simply because of the very, very high degree of uh, reflectance, so under good solar conditions, a solar PV system in the Canadian Arctic will outperform an equivalent solar system in Los Angeles easily.
2: Wow.
0: Well, since you—I mean, you, you're up there in these Arctic, re, you know, conditions and everything—and obviously they're generating a lot of solar. But do you have to kind of plan for? using certain materials that you would not maybe use in some of the southern installations you're doing? Do you have to use certain certain products just to kind of make sure that they all stand up to the temperatures?
1: Well, you, you need to look at uh, what you need uh, for the, the solar system. You obviously need to have a very robust design. Uh, what we also do is to, as much as possible, prepare all the materials, make sure that everything is pre-programmed, pre-tested as far as possible, pre-assembled, uh, make sure that we have all the components and everything. Everything has to be planned very thoroughly. Obviously, engineering, drawings, design, bill of material, meticulously document uh, what is where. When you end up, we brought 16 tons of solar material into Colville Lake, and when we arrived, we had 11 boxes looking at us. <laughs> How do you know which is where? And obviously, we needed to plan a sequence. So the, the very first thing we had is have the front loader position all the boxes where they're supposed to be. We even had a layout to to minimize all the carrying and walking because we don't have the equipment. You you basically need to do a lot of stuff uh, manually. And then the first thing to do is uh, open uh, your tool crate. And then, yes, open the kitchen crate, make coffee, get everybody comfortable and happy. And then once you have the tool crate open, systematically start opening the other crates. We used crate material to build ourselves work tables. There's no furniture there. We were on the old runway, uh, and the the village was maybe a kilometer, kilometer and a half away, and for the rest of it, it was basically... Um, in Colville Lake, they still had trees, but the trees need 100 years to grow to maybe 2 or 3 meters uh, size, mm-hmm. and you basically have uh, muskeg. The Russians call it tundra. They call it uh, muskeg. And then you have open land all around you. So you need to then build your own uh, working tables and arrangement and uh, systematically start uh, putting things together, do the layout, uh, measure, layout, make sure, uh, and uh, ultimately um, get get into the working routine. Um, and then basically day after day, just uh, knock away at it. Um, and ultimately our goal is to help these communities to reduce diesel generation, and at least for the favorable part of the year, uh, to to the degree possible, completely eliminate uh, diesel generation. And the technology can do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it sounds like I mean you're very passionate about going into these communities and doing this, but they're so far away from your home base in Windsor. Um, how have you guys become just like the go to people for doing these these really far away regions, or how are you getting these projects?
1: Yeah. Well, we do still have local business, and I should be talking about some of our local business <laughs> as well. We do service uh, projects uh, in Ontario as well. The, the way we got into these remote uh, communities is that um, a lot of people have tried, and it's not that uh, solar is totally unknown, but there are a lot of dead projects. There are more dead bodies on the side of the road than there are operating systems. Yeah. Simply because the challenges are so many. And what we thrive in is excellence in design, excellence in engineering, excellence in project management, and then excellence in logistics, excellence in execution. We are perfectionist in the sense that uh, we don't mind these challenges. We actually thrive on these challenges. And people do talk. I mean, we did the the Saks Harbor project between award and having the system inspector inspected, commissioned, and in operation in 28 days, and I am including weekends, 28 days. Wow. I mean, this was one of the projects where it had to be done before the full uh, winter, and we were only awarded this project in September, and we needed to get it done before the end of October, and we actually accomplished this between award of the project, and we flew the inspector in, okay? Mm -hmm. And electrical inspection passed the system commission up and running in 28 days. And yes, we did work through the weekends. So people talk, and this is unprecedented. They have never had a project being executed like clockwork before. The 86 kilowatt uh, system in uh, Colville Lake, we did that in nine working days, on site, nine working days. Hmm. Uh, we basically came in June 1st, uh, we had one Sunday where we took off, but the rest of the time we did work, we uh, brought the utility guy in, the utility did their own inspection, and mm-hmm. when we left, that system was installed, inspected, commissioned, tested, debugged, done, finished. Nine working days. Wow. So the, the, the utilities do pay attention, and, and, and people talk and they recognize, and we have developed a track record uh, that people recognize, and so it's, it's actually, as a German engineer or the German-Canadian engineer, I have to say I enjoy rising to the challenge. What do,
0: you, what do you enjoy about being in the solar industry? Is it getting power to these, you know, remote communities that, you know, getting rid of the diesel, is that something that you really enjoy?
1: What I most enjoy about being in the solar industry is to do the right thing. I do believe that uh, we need to respond to climate change and all the the damage we already did. Renewable energy is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So that's where I I get most of my uh, professional satisfaction. It's the right thing to do. And uh, we live it. We not only talk it, we live it. Uh, We operate two electric vehicles since well over three years. We have over 100,000 kilometers on these two electric vehicles. I ride the bicycle religiously every day, 365 days a week uh, since eight and a half years. We generate more electricity at this site here than than we use. We have two EV charging stations out there together with uh, solar carports. We live it, and we help other people uh, to also live it. So it's the right thing to do. We love doing it. And uh,
0: Where do you see the Canadian solar industry in, in the near future? How, how is that market?
1: Um, the Canadian solar industry is, um, is a difficult subject in the sense that we have uh, our different provinces, Ontario being the most populous province in Canada did pass a Green Energy Act some six seven years ago which did give uh, some some well it created room for a solar industry in Ontario unfortunately this program has been terribly mismanaged by incompetent uh, bureaucrats so on one hand the government showed good intention but the execution was just uh, really mismanaged so it was start stop start stop start stop so there is a limited solar industry in Ontario the other provinces have yet to do something like a feed in tariff program or even a consistent net metering program there are some pockets of, of, uh, of hope uh, the Northwest Territories has a net metering program other provinces and territories are still working on it there is no one consistent Canadian uh, policy across the country. Uh, Quebec, our second most populous province, actually has a surplus of hydropower. They invested decades ago heavily in very large uh, water power projects, and they are actually an exporter of uh, clean electricity, all based on hydropower so understandably their government isn't really that interested in solar energy because uh, they do have this uh, surplus of water power so there is no consistent approach across Canada and um, we well we have a new government now we have a new federal government and they have expressed intention but um, we need to still see how that all shakes out ultimately I do believe we will get to the point where physics drives it and not uh, politics. Unfortunately at this point in time we still have a lot of uh, regulatory hurdles to take and uh, a lot of utilities have yet to get their hands around it and embrace uh, distributed and renewable generation. So it's the same thing all over the world. I mean, it wasn't different in Germany when they started 15 years ago. All these battles had to be fought. And it's not different in the US. Uh, There are great, great differences between the different jurisdictions. I mean, between Hawaii and Alaska, you have tremendous differences and also a different point where the respective uh, solar market is. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe that's just in the nature of the beast. But at the end of the day, Uh, we have the same problem on a global basis and that is climate change is real we need to decarbonize what we do as soon as we can and renewable energy has to be core of that and within that solar energy distributed solar energy uh, is a very very important part of the answer
0: I mean, and and Green Sun Rising, you're involved with so many different aspects of solar and, you know, with the the electrical vehicle charging and things like that. What do you see for the company in the near future? Are you going to try to take on more challenging projects? What are you guys kind of planning?
1: I see us continuing with uh, what we have been doing in the last eight and a half years, being a technology leader here in our local market. If I want to see the energy future, I just need to go to Germany and look around there and I see beautiful, beautiful technology, beautiful solutions. And uh, so I, can, I see us continuing to do this. I see us continuing with our very good reputation in the remote communities. And interestingly enough, uh, it actually helps us balance our workload. We do our solar installations in uh, southern Canada, mainly in summer. But these remote projects actually need winter work because we need to get all the materials prepared and created up. And if I need to use a winter ice road, I need to get the stuff on the road around February. So I need to work on it uh, in uh, December and January to get it all out in February and then fly in a team in summer. So these types of uh, combination of the, the remote, combination of local, We just got an award here, and we're working on what will be the most advanced solar PV system that I am aware of uh, here in Ontario. It's going to be able to do everything. It's going to be grid connect possible. It's going to be off-grid seamlessly. It will have lithium-ion battery storage. It will have its energy management. It will have the battery management. It will be with a Level 2 charging station, and yes, the gentleman will have a Tesla. So it's going to be a very, very advanced uh, system, state-of-the-art German technology. We're working with two leading German companies, SMA and BMZ, for the inverter charge controller and also the lithium-ion battery bank, including the, the management system of it. So these types of technologically advanced things I see us continuing to do. And when our local market gets to the point, then I see this all exploding in volume. I do believe that there will be a time coming when basically the market uh, flips, when we have grid parity, and now economics uh, drives uh, solar energy, and then uh, the, the market will just uh, grow. Hmm.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Klaus. I mean, just listening to all these stories, it was a really fascinating and, and interesting discussion, Though, so thanks for chatting with me today.
1: Well, thanks for the positive uh, attention and hopefully coverage as well. It's all for for the right cause. And, uh, well, we we do appreciate uh, solar project opportunities. We are not afraid of challenges. At the end of the day, it's all for the right thing to do.
0: This has been another edition of Contractors Corner, a Solar Power World podcast series in which our editors talk with solar contractors and installers. I'm Kelly Pickerel, Associate Editor of Solar Power World. Thanks for listening, and please tune in next time.